Morning. Did you know there are people who walk among us who believe absolutely wild things about the world? Can I give you an example? Sure. I will take your silence as just enthusiasm. All right. You've just checked into a very expensive hotel. Ooh, you're so excited. You don't treat yourself, you're treating yourself. All those points. You're in the elevator, 10th floor. 11th floor, oh, we're going up high. 12th floor. 14th floor. What happened to the 13th floor? Why is there no 13th floor in this elevator, you might wonder. Well, as the comedian Tom Segura points out, if we call it the 13th floor, ghosts and goblins will move in. So, I just want you to know, there are adults, grown people, who run things, who had stickers in their hands with numbers all over them, and they're standing in an elevator going, oof, if we put this number 13 on this sticker here, oh, that's, that's just scary. So we're not going to do that. So adults throw out that sticker. You and I live in a world where people believe that if you call the 13th floor the 13th floor, it gets haunted. That's not just like one random hotel. That's lots of hotels. That's the Four Seasons. That's the Ramada. It's everywhere. Ramada. I always, I always mess it up. I never say that. I don't think they have 14 floors. But you get the point. There are adults who believe wild things about the world. They believe if they throw out the number 13, the ghosts and the goblins cease to be a problem. That's wild. There are also wild things people believe about worship. Let me give you an example. There have been people, a few, more than one, who have used emotions to manipulate people in worship services. That's not the wild thing. You're like, well, that's not wild. That's not wild. Here's the wild thing. Therefore, let's throw emotions out of the worship service. We just won't have them. That is akin to throwing out the number 13 and believing you've solved your ghost and your goblin problem. Just because we said, hey, we're going to have a, a, a worship service that's very orderly, there will be no emotions in it, does not mean that the ghosts and the goblins left the building. What do emotionless church divisions look like? What about church leaders who are uncomfortable with their authority? Oh, we can find out what emotionless church services look like. What about... What about uh, leaders who are emotionally immature and they get criticism and they just fly off the rails and they do all kinds of crazy things with their authority because they are emotionally unaware? How did those emotionless worship services go? Did they really accomplish what we thought they would accomplish? That's wild. We've been talking throughout this series about emotional maturity. We've been saying that spiritual maturity is deeply connected to emotional maturity. We don't know what someone says when they say, I'm spiritually mature, yet emotionally immature. We have no idea what that means, what it looks like. And we're landing the plane today by talking about emotions in worship. What place do emotions have in this thing we call worship? When I started preparing for this message, I got on the Google, and I started YouTubing and Googling what people are saying about worship. 
And I'm not going to lie to you, I found it wildly unhelpful. People say the weirdest things and they expect me to know what they're talking about when we talk about worship. This was one speaker. We worship when we glorify God. What? What does that mean? What are you talking about? Glorify God? What does that look like? How do you glorify? What, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. Churches, we assume an awful lot on people. We'll put on the sign, worship with us. What does that mean? What are you, what are you inviting me to do? We assume an awful lot. What in the world are we talking about as we talk about worship? So as we have this conversation this morning, and we talk about worship, and we talk about emotions in worship, how do we navigate this? We've got to beware of like just two sides of the horse you can fall off. One side of the horse is we just spend so much time describing that we don't actually do anything. And we can put bars in the way for people. Barriers they've got to jump over. So it's like, hey, we want you to worship God. But you know, it would be really helpful if you had a master's of divinity before you did that. Be super helpful if you read these 10 books and got your life in order. So we're going to worship, but would you do all that first? Whew, that's bad. Come to the waters, all who thirst. We want to remove barriers. We want to say, you want to worship Jesus? Yeah, come on in. You want to experience God? Let's do it. There's no, there's no hoop you got to jump through. There's no class you got to take. There's no thing you got to read. Come on in. The water's great. We don't want to just overanalyze something to the point where it's just like, we, uh, what are we doing? We haven't actually done that. And on the other side, we also want to be curious as we do that. We think that our lives can be brought more into conformity and be more informed by the story of Jesus. And so we want to be curious. Like, hey, what are we doing? What, how are we, what, what, what's happening here? How is Scripture speaking to that? How does Scripture inform that? And so it's a both and. We want to be wildly accessible. I didn't make the rules, okay? I didn't put that sign out front. All are welcome. Right? And our services are at 9 and 10.30. We want to tell you what time it is so you can get here. You know what time it is. That sign is not for you. We don't want to put any barriers up to people experiencing and knowing Jesus. We don't want to do it. We, we, we can do that by overanalyzing everything. So, where are we going today? To quote Leanne Womack, I hope you dance. Do you know in the Green New Deal, and this is not, I'm not saying anything about my politics with this, I'm just reading the mail. In the Green New Deal, the folks that put forward the Green New Deal did not want everything that they put forward in the Green New Deal. They, they, they put their offer here, this is what we demand. Do you know why politicians do that? Because now this seems less crazy, right? So if everybody's over here and you want to drag everybody over here, the best way to do it, politicians of all political persuasions do this. If you want to drag someone over here, go over here. And then what happens? They're like, wow, wow, we'll meet you over here. And I guess, right. Happens all the time, all the time. So before you get outraged that someone's asking for something, like, be concerned about where the plane is landing. I hope, as a church, we feel freedom and the invitation to dance this morning. That's biblical. That's our text this morning. Psalm 150, verse 4. Praise him with dancing. All right, do we not believe the Bible around here? Do we not believe in the plain reading of Scripture? It says, praise him with dancing. How would you feel if we danced? 
I hear awesome, I hear awkward, I don't know. <laughs> right, but it's starting to get like that. <laughs> cool, so glad I came to church today. This is why it's also hard. When we talk about worship, we don't want to put barriers up for people. We don't want to be like, you have to know all these things, your life has to be so straightened out before you can worship. And we also don't want to say, and you got to worship like me. Your worship has to look like me. You're wired like me. You've just got to be like me. And at the end of the day, it feels so empty without me. I felt like that was where that was going. Thank you for the three people that got that. We don't want to put those barriers up. We want to keep it broad. Around here at Compass Church, we do not build our Sunday services around preference. We build our Sunday service around conviction. We don't build around preference. We build around conviction. We don't build around the preference of like, well, what do we like? What do we want? We build around the conviction that we want to be a hospitable faith community. We create space. We're hospitable. We want everybody. We believe when the Bible says, come, all who are thirsty. We believe your neighbors are thirsty. We believe there are spiritually curious people that you rub shoulders with every day, and we want to remove barriers so they can come and experience the presence of Jesus in this place. That's a conviction that we build Sunday morning around. Now, if we can just have a little fireside chat for a second, all right, I really, I feel quite strongly about this. I'm not going to get involved in a worship war. All right, whatever your preference is for how you want like music style to be, it's right. All right, you're right, and that's what I like too. Whatever you like, I like. It's great, and you're right. All right, I'm not going to fight you on it. I do not want us to get involved with like, well, this is right. That, we're going to moralize our preferences. Do you understand what I say with preferences? Like, I, would like this to look, I would like this to look like this. That's a preference. We don't build Sunday morning around preference. We build it around conviction. Now, here's what that looks like. Lots of churches unintentionally communicate lots of things. So churches that have a 9 a.m. service that's traditional... And churches that have a 1030 service that's contemporary, I believe, are trying to do great things. But they've also unintentionally, they have unintentionally communicated, we are united around our preferences. I worship God with people who like traditional stuff. I worship God with people who like contemporary stuff. Rather than, I worship God with humans. And I know there are many in this room who have laid aside their preferences. There are many who have said, I don't care what we do, how loud the drums are. I just want people to know and experience the presence of God. And I know that that is costly. And that's beautiful. So I thank you. And I'm also saying, I'm not going to jump in the ring. All right? I have, look, I'm, I'm getting old. I don't care what you do with music. I do not care. All right, I'm going to die one day, and I do not want to be read on my tombstone. His opinions about worship were just so strong, so strong. That's what we needed, a courageous leader who was very opinionated about preference. Thank you. No, 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 no. It's not what we're doing here. It's not what we're doing. So what are we doing? We're not trying to make, we're trying to remove barriers. We're not trying to have barriers. We're not going to fight a worship war about preferences and taste. What are we doing? Here's a definition of worship I want to give you that I hope will illuminate the text we're going to look at. 
Worship happens when the magnificent meets the mundane and we notice. Let me say that again. Worship happens when the magnificent meets the mundane and we notice. What in the world am I talking about? The other day I was walking on the MKT Trail. It was wonderful. It was, it was just a perfect weather. It wasn't hot. And I just happened, I look around and everything is green. Everywhere I look is green. I close my eyes and I hear birds and I hear people laughing. I'm like, this is like the Garden of Eden. Only with humidity and allergies and ticks. <laughs> What's happening? A totally ordinary moment. The Katy Trail. But it's infused. It's met with the mundane. God made me in this world. Do you know how many animals have gone extinct since the 1970s? Tons. And yet here I am in the MKD Trail and I just see life everywhere. It's swarming with life. You close your eyes, you hear kids laughing at twin legs, you hear people riding bikes. And it's just, there's a, it's swarming with life. And I'm like, God is swarming with life and he made this. The ordinary and the mundane mixed with the magnificent. When we notice that, it's called worship. And, and, and that is just where the whole biblical story is going. In the story of Israel, as the story unfolds, they were instructed to only worship God in one place, the tabernacle, the ordinary. This was a nomadic culture. Everybody had tents. What's so special about that tent we're calling the tabernacle? Nothing. It's an ordinary tent. And yet, God lives in that tent. Magnificent. The mundane and the magnificent meet and we call that worship when we notice. And so how do we as people cultivate worship in our life? How do we as emotional people made in the image of an emotional God worship? Look, I, I have to say, what's a big difference between the first service and the second service? The biggest difference between the first service and the second service is nobody watches sports in the first service. I was walking around this morning be like, did anybody see that game last night? And people were like, what game? Was it cribbage? What? what? <laughs> Was it a cricket match? No. Like, no. Like, the Celtics played the Heat, and they were down 0-3, and nobody's ever come back from an 0-3 deficit, and it was game six. And the Celtics were winning by 10 when there was three minutes left. And then there was three seconds left, and now they're losing by one. And they inbound the ball to Marcus Smart. He's been hot all night. He shoots. Whew. He misses. And right before the buzzer goes off, White taps it. And it goes in with 0.1 seconds left. I turned to Amy as that happened. I said, can you believe we just saw that? Like, that's amazing. Like, holy cow. Like, people live through history. I think we just lived through history. Holy cow. That was incredible. And people in the first service were like, it's basketball season? <laughs> now imagine these people come to church. And the magnificent and the mundane have met together. God's presence is here. And the same people were like, I can't believe I got to live through a, a grown adult male who makes millions of dollars pushing a ball into a hoop. I can't believe I got to live through that. Come into the presence of God. And they're like, oh my gosh. How many more times are we going to sing this chorus? 
hey, is Applebee's open today? It's Memorial Day. Do you think we have a coupon? I just like, can we get out of here? That's weird. That's not normal. And we feel uncomfortable dancing. Come on now. Something might be out of order. Are you open to the perspective that we might be missing the train on emotions and worship? When we're totally okay with someone being bored out of their gourd in here, but we think it's weird that people want to dance. Come on. Check, please. We're going to be reading from Psalm 150. Psalm 150 is the end of what's called the book of the Psalms. Psalms is made up of five books. And Psalm 150 is, is the keystone. It's the end of the whole psalm. And it culminates in an invitation to praise God. What does the word praise mean? It means things like adorn, celebrate, affirm, describe. How do we praise God? The psalmist gives us three steps that we can follow, which are not a formula. It's like, oh, great, I can have the, the magnificent and the mundane meet if I just follow these three easy rules. Mm -mm. No, but these three practices, these three instructions are how we as a people can cultivate a posture of readiness to worship. At any second, the mundane can meet the magnificent. If there is a God, which I believe there is, he can come into his creation at any time. And we can meet him and we can grow in our awareness of he's present, he's near. I mean, this is the gospel for goodness sakes. There were lots of men in first century Palestine, mundane. One of those, though, was the God-man, magnificent. And when we recognize that, heaven and earth have met in this person. God came to live with us. That's worship. How do we be people who recognize? How do we grow in our awareness of his presence? There's three things we can do that the psalmist describes, how we can prepare for God's presence. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 150. How do we be people who experience worship? Psalm 150. How do we be people who experience God's presence? Here we go. Psalm 150. Praise in Hebrew, it literally says Yah. So his name's Yahweh, but they shorten his name for like a cadence thing. So I'm just going to say that. Praise Yah. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. How? Praise him with the sounding trumpet. Praise him with a harp and a lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding symbols. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise Yah. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we want to be people who live in your presence. We want to be people who experience these mundane moments that we all live in. The mornings where we're trying to just let a few more minutes go by before we touch our phone. The drive home from work. 
turning in receipts at work. We want to meet you in those moments. We want to notice. So, Father, we pray that this morning would be an act of transformation, that we would be a people attuned to you. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first invitation, if we really are going to be people who worship, is we need to prepare for God's presence. If we're going to be people who worship, if we're going to be people who notice that these mundane moments can be infused with the magnificent, we've got to prepare for God's presence. Look with me. This is the center of the sandwich, verse 3 in Psalm 150. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel. Uh-oh, there it is. And dancing. Hang on. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. What are we talking about here? Music stirs up emotions. I do not make the rules. I, when I hear, I'm a 36-year-old man, but when I hear Blink-182, I am just transported back to being a middle school kid who's ready to fight the man and it's too much punk rock for one hand. I'm like, oh. It just stirs up these emotions. As a 36-year-old man, I'm like, let's fight the man. And there's a voice in my head like, you are the man. And I'm like, doesn't matter. We're going to find somebody to fight. <laughs> Music just stirs up emotion. Look, like, I don't, this is not my guitar, but do you understand? You all, we intuitively know this. Like this, and let's see what we can play on YouTube without getting sued. That is a much different vibe than did you feel that yeah they're different they are not the same music has an ability that I do not it can just sneak in your back door you got your guards up you got your defenses up there oh look at that that's so beautiful I love this song but someone's like hey you should be more emotional stop it Music can just sneak in the back door. That's why Andrew Fletcher, he was a politician in Scotland back in the day, says, let me make the songs of a nation and I care not who makes its laws. Isn't that very like colonial America? I care not who makes its laws. Why does he care not who makes its laws? Because Justin Bieber has far more influence than Justin Trudeau. Just how it works. Music captures us. It captures the imagination. So how do we prepare for God's presence? Music. I remember the first time I heard an orchestra in person. Blew me away. If you've never done it, do yourself a favor. I'm more of a Metallica person. I do not care. Go see an orchestra in person. Make a drive. It will blow your socks off. You have no idea. Humans could make these noises, and they come at you in such a way. Like, Hickman is great. All right, but like, you know, go see Hickman, the band, and all that, but really go, like, drive to Cincinnati. Go to an orchestra. It just has this ability to take you to another world. And what we're trying to say is that in this mundane ordinariness, music reminds us and stirs us up. We were not made for just life under the sun. 
We were made for so much more. And music stirs that up in us. It prepares us for his presence. Now, let's dance. Verse 4, praise him with timbrel and dancing. We talk about a lot around here. There's a phrase we use all the time. The Bible was not written to us, but the Bible was written for us. Now, when this psalm was written, it was written in a cultural moment called the ancient Near East. The ancient Near East dancing was a much more natural part of their musical and worship processions. So think about Exodus 15. When the children of Israel part the Red Seas, what does Miriam do? She grabs a tambourine and she like joins Peter, Paul, and Mary and she just starts like shaking the tambourine and like a whole bunch of women grab tambourines and follow her and they create this tambourine line. Now, the wildest part of that story is not that a woman was dancing and it's worship. The wildest part of that story is they're on the run from Egypt and the world's greatest army is chasing them. What do they have available? Tambourines. Have you ever gone camping and packed something? You put things you don't need at the bottom of your suitcase. What does Israel have readily available? Tambourines. <laughs> Why is that? Psalm 137 paints a picture of ancient Israel that's way different than you and I imagine. Psalm 137, it's a sublime song for anybody who's like my age and older. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and wept as we remembered Zion. All right? What's happening? Israel's been destroyed. Exiles happen. Babylonians come up to them and they say, hey, will you sing us some of those songs of freedom? And they say, no. We're sad. Leave us alone. What's happening there? Israel is famous for their songs. They were an expressive people, and music and worship went hand in hand. You may be familiar when David brings the ark back into Jerusalem. He dances, and there was a Baptist among them. And the Baptist was like, I don't like that. I don't think God likes that. I can say that because I grew up Baptist and I still have deep ties in that community. And if you're Baptist, you're like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> what does God do, though? Does God side with the Baptist? That's right, David. I don't think that dancing's appropriate. No. God rebukes Saul's daughter. And it's actually a sign that God is displeased with Saul's lineage and is moving on to David. Okay, well, what does God think about this dancing? Psalm 149 says he likes it. He loves the joy of his people. And the invitation here is to praise him with dancing. Now, I don't know your story of faith. Maybe you grew up in a, in a faith community where this was dancing. I don't know. But I just want to ask you, is it okay that we as a faith community are totally comfortable with someone being bored out of their gourd on a Sunday service and totally uncomfortable with someone dancing around? Is that, is that in line with the biblical story? Because it doesn't feel like it is to me. It feels like we should be saying, hey, like, maybe we're missing something here. Maybe people who get wildly excited about game six basketball. There's one more game. I did not see history. Maybe people who get wildly excited about game six basketball and don't get excited about God, maybe we need to be open to correction there. 
Emotionless people are not emotionless at Arrowhead. But why are we emotionless here? Emotionless people feel the beauty of gardens. But when they come into church services, but I'm just, I'm worshiping God through my grumpy face. You can't see, but behind this frown is so much delight. Maybe we are just bored. You ever thought about that? Maybe we're not emotionless. Maybe we're bored. And that's okay. We gotta start where we are, though. We gotta be honest. And how do we get out of that, though? We prepare. And music prepares us. If, you, if you've been paying attention to this psalm as he's describing it, listen to all the instruments that are, are sounding. We've got a trumpet, so we've got wind. We've got harp and lyre. We've got string. Brass, excuse me, excuse me. I've only been to one orchestra, all right? Let's not get ahead of ourselves here, Craig. I'm ready to teach the class. Timbrel and dancing. We've got strings. We've got pipe. We've got cymbals. We've got drums, baby. We got it all. Why? Because there's variety. Our God loves variety. But yet, but yet, it culminates in verse 6. Let everything that has what, praise the Lord? Breath. Our worship comes to a head when we use our voice to praise God when we sing and when we sing together. This phrase, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, it's, it's rich and it's saturated with meaning. It's saying, hey, are you alive? This invitation's for you. So that's saying, that, that gets at so many different angles. Oh, this is just for the young folks. Mmm, you got breath? Oh, you know, I don't, I don't really sing. Well, this is an invitation for you. I don't like how, somehow, there's a, there's a psalm, I don't remember what number it is, but it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And that somehow became this awkward way of saying, I'm bad at singing, so I'll just sing awkwardly. See, make a joyful noise. This is talking about, though, it's an invitation, regardless of skill, regardless of where you're coming from, you're invited to praise God with the breath he put in you. This is an echo back of Genesis 2. In Genesis 2, in the garden, God puts the breath of life into people. And now the invitation is to send that life back his way. God, you've done great things, so I'm going to enjoy you. And music prepares us. We worship with our bodies, by the way. That's the magnificent meeting the mundane. These are all things, the New Testament and the Old Testament alike, both describe all these as ways we can worship. Singing, dancing, festivals, offerings, bowing, laying prostrate, lifting hands. All of these are things we do with our bodies. What I just described sounds more like something like Coachella than it does Sunday morning. Like, there's a great book by Gregory Allen Thornberry. It's called, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? And I just feel like, as a church community, are, are, is that us right now? There's, there's great creativity. There's great energy that the psalmist is saying, hey, let's worship the Lord. Are we people who are known for creativity and beauty? 
Or is it true what they say about evangelicals, that their slogan should be, anything you can do, we can do later? <laughs> do you like Avatar? Don't worry, in five years we'll make a Christian Avatar. Are we people who are pushing the boundaries of the creativity because any moment is a moment where we can experience God's goodness and his presence? Or are we bored? Preparation helps move us. We move from preparation, though, to experience. First, we prepare for God's presence. Then we experience God's presence. God's presence is saturated throughout this psalm. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 describe God's presence. Praise Yah. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. That phrase in verse 2, praise him for his acts of power and his surpassing greatness, that's shorthand for how Israelites describe the story of God. How God's moving in Israel's life toward redemption. How he's moving to save them. How God is saying, hey, this mundane, I'm going to infuse with the magnificent. Think, think about in Israel's story, you could just worship God anywhere. As, you know, Jacob, he's on the run from his brother Esau. And he falls asleep on a rock and he sees a stairway to heaven. So he writes a song. He didn't write that song. Thank you for tracking. He wakes up and he worships God and he anoints the rock and he calls the place Bethel, which means house of God. He's just in the woods, random place. As the story unfolds, though, there's more specificity. Now you have to worship God in 1 Kings on a high place, a mountain. Any old mountain will do. And, and Solomon's like, just make sure, though, that no other God was worshipped on this mountain. But now we have to worship God in a specific place, one mountain, Jerusalem, the temple. That's what verse 1 is echoing back to. Praise God in his sanctuary. But just like you can see this, it's getting narrower. All creation, mountains, one mountain, it opens back up again. Jesus and then all Jesus' people. Praise God in his sanctuary. That was a tent, and it was an ordinary tent. But next week, as we get back into the Gospel of John, we're going to get at one of the wildest things Jesus said. He said, if you destroy this temple, in three days I'll raise it up. In three days. It took us 46 years to build this. I'm talking about me. Praise God in his sanctuary. Now in the New Testament, as the story unfolds, that sanctuary is a person. And as the New Testament further unfolds, we become the temple you ever heard people say your body is a temple? They get that from 1 Corinthians. So when we worship God in the sanctuary, we're worshiping with each other. We need each other. When we worship God together, it's a way to care for our weaknesses. You're going to have weeks where your faith is hanging on by a thread. And you're going to look around this room and you're going to be like, those people pray. I don't know what they're going through, but they love God. And it's going to give you courage. You can borrow the faith of others when we worship God in his sanctuary. We love the internet and we love all the things the internet has afforded us. The internet cannot replace in-person worship. Looking around the room, seeing tears, seeing other people, knowing their stories is way different than seeing a face on a screen. 
The internet can give us many things. It cannot give us rest. Rest is something that happens when we come into God's presence, into his experience. You can experience God's presence through each other. We are the sanctuary. We are the temple. So we prepare for his presence. We experience his presence. Then we describe God's presence. The word praise is used all throughout this psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his greatness. Praise him with the sound of trumpet. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. What does it mean to praise? It's saying ascribe. It's saying describe. It's saying affirm. It's saying celebrate. We don't just experience these things and keep it to ourselves. I've shared this story before, but a really good friend of mine, he did something that is like a, just a dream of mine. He drove his motorcycle from San Francisco to Los Angeles up the one, up the Pacific Coast Highway. Amazing. And on a motorcycle. Saw our favorite band, Radiohead. Amazing. Drove back down all by himself. Afterwards, I was like, how was that? He's like, might as well not have done it. What? Why? I had no one to share it with. You know, it's really exciting coming in here telling you about how, like, the heart attack I had last night watching the Celtics. You know what's more exciting, though? Telling people what's going on at Compass Church. Telling people how we're seeing people meet Jesus. How, right over there in those chairs, I prayed with someone for the, for the very first time that they ever prayed. And as they just started talking to God, they just started weeping. Hearing stories in here about people who said, I was really discouraged about church. I didn't, I... I stopped giving church a chance and I'm starting to experience people who love me and care about me. Oh my gosh. Describe. We just, just seeing it and then saying, God, look what you're doing. is praise. We prepare, we experience, and then we tell. And the word for that tell is witness. Because thank goodness somebody witnessed to you. You know, there once was a time when you didn't believe in Jesus. There once was a time where you were out and others were in, and others were experiencing. Thank goodness their posture wasn't like, oh, I finally got this church the way I want it to. I got my preferences all in order. No one else can come in. Thank goodness that wasn't their, their agenda. That they were like, come in. You've got to experience this. I want you to have this. You've got breath. Praise the Lord. Thank goodness that the people who were here before us don't have the postures that sometimes we ugh, get all over us. We have so many mundane moments in our life. So many. Our life is infused with the mundane. Those are all invitations to experience his presence. Those are all invitations that we can just, God, what are you doing? How are you working right now? And I just got to say, because I forgot to say this in the first service, we understand that talking about emotions stirs up emotions. As a staff, we've been walking through a little bit more conflict than we normally have because I think we're talking about emotions and people are like, well, you're telling me to feel. Here you go. It's like, whoa, yeah, here we go. Like, all right. And we love that. And we want to come alongside and equip you. So there's a couple of resources I just want to mention. This is a sheet that you might get. It's on the welcome table on your way out. There's three books. We know books don't replace presents, but check out those books. Um, there's The Four Habits of Joy-Filled People. If you don't read, it's like 50 pages. This is perfect. I don't like to read unless I have to. 
That's a great, it's a, uh, Marcus Warner and Chris Corsi changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, Feel, Matthew Elliott, and The Connected Life, they're great. Connection, uh, grief share. This is stirred up something we, have, we want to just remind you. We've got this grief share. But the last thing we just want to, we want to bring your attention to. One of the things that we've been talking about a lot with like churches and other counseling practices around town, you can't find good counseling if like your life depended on it. There's some counseling groups in town. It's a year wait list. Holy cow. Like if this stirred up something, it's like, well, just wait a year and we'll deal with it. So Restore, who Restore is run by Allie Hedinger, they're putting on these counseling retreats. There's a men's retreat in August and a women's retreat in November, and they're trying to fit a year of counseling in a weekend. Just, it's, uh, here's what I can say. As someone, the elders experienced a time with Allie. It was very similar, I imagine, what she's doing here, and it was incredibly transformative. And so if that's something you're interested in, we'd love to talk with you. These are all at, we, we don't want to leave our apples at the apple orchard. We want to take this with us. So this, grab this. If you have more questions, we'd love to talk with you about it because we don't want to be people who are like, oh yeah, emotions. We should be emotionally mature. All right, what's for lunch? We just don't want to forget that. We know that's a temptation to do. We want to be people who really do ultimately invite because look at, look at again. I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to go a little over. Look at verse 1. Praise the Lord in his sanctuary. That's here. That's with God's people. But then what's the second part? Praise him outside. You do not see the mighty heavens in here. This room has terrible natural light. We need to break the experience of God out of this room. We don't minimize what's happening in this room. We love it. We want to cultivate it. And we want it to flow out into your workplace, into your families. We just, we, that doesn't happen by mistake. It's great intentionality. And thank goodness the people who invited us didn't have postures that we can sometimes have. Chris Corsi, who I mentioned, he tells this story. He was at an airport and he was trying to get his flight home, his connecting flight. And he just had a bad feeling. Like, oh, we're not going to make it. I just, you know, ah, we're not going to get on this flight. And so he gets to the terminal, and he, it's a mundane moment, right? It's a totally normal terminal, and he hears what you've, you and I have heard before. Attention passengers, flight 8339, the flight boarding to Phoenix has been canceled. You've been there. It's like, ah. Oh. Totally normal moment. What happened next, though, was a little less than normal. I've never seen this. A guy, a passenger on that flight, picks up his suitcase and throws it across the terminal. Fear grips every passenger in that terminal. See, if you're young, you don't really understand, like, why us older folks would have that fear. After 9-11, any time a bag gets more than three feet away from someone, it's, like, terrifying. Like, we've just been conditioned, like, that's a bomb, that's a bomb. Now that, when that thing is being thrown through the air, it's like, ah, what's happening? It's terrifying. Fear grips the terminal. And this man starts saying things I'm not going to say in church. I like, a, I like having my job. He just starts freaking out. And he goes to the, the, the check-in counter, and he's yelling, and he's scaring people. He's using his breath. This man has breath, and he's using it, and he's stirring up fear. And everybody feels it. And Corsi is watching all this. Now, keep in mind, he's just missed his flight. So he's already feeling something. And now this. And he feels the Spirit of God saying, go. You got this. Talk to him. I don't need, that's not my responsibility. You got the skills, go. 
So again, I, if I were to try this, I cannot imagine this going like this. I would use the same words with a wildly different outcome. Hey, man. It looks like you're having a rough day. You think? I'm having a blankety, blankety, terrible day. I feel that. That's hard. Hey, I'm a pastor, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and I just really care about people. And is there anything I can be praying with you about? And the guy takes his fists, and he, and he starts to put them down a little bit. He said, to be honest with you, I have cancer, and I have to fly across the country for treatment. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if the treatment's going to be successful. But I've got these two little girls, and I don't get time with them. And so now I miss this flight, and I'm not getting time with my girls. And Corsi starts crying with him. Man, that's so hard. Let's pray. And he puts his arm around the man, and they just invite Jesus into the situation. After they're done praying, the man looks at Corsi and says, you know, for years I've been thinking about getting right with God. Is this what people are talking about when they talk about that? Corsi gave him a Bible, and that man walked away, not in handcuffs, but with a Bible under his elbow and a curiosity about God. Thank God people still Take this invitation seriously. You have no idea how many people you might be the suitcase-throwing person to. But someone said, I'm going to give them the invitation. Why would we hold that to ourselves? Why would we do that? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Oh, all who are burdened and heavy-laden, Come to me, and I will give you rest. God, we pray that the ordinary moments we're living in would be transformed by your presence. God, the psalmist talks about your greatness, your mighty acts. Lord, we know when you arrive, your presence changes everything. Your name is Emmanuel, God with us. Give us more God with us moments. And I pray we would be a people who use our voice to invite others into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.